Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for the opportunity to come together to look at your word. We ask that you guide and lead us as we examine this section of, of Ezekiel and that you will lead and your Holy Spirit will teach. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 3, starting at verse 14. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness... In the heat of the Spirit, but the, Lord, the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Then I came to them of the captivity at Telebib, that dwelt by the river of Sibar, and I sat where they sat and remained there astonished, astonished excuse me, among them seven days. And it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the, unto the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him not warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and, turn, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So we're going to stop there for just a moment. Ezekiel has been talking about how God was calling him and we saw the call he was to eat the eat the roll that we talked about and here it says and I kind of find this interesting so the spirit lifted me up and took me away this is a very interesting statement because it reminds us of Philip when he preached to the Ethiopian eunuch on the road if you remember that story he preached the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, and the next thing it knows, it says, it says the spirit took him away, and he was in a town. So this is very interesting when you read it, because from what it says is he was just lifted up from where he was at and taken someplace else. And this is very interesting to read. It's not the only time it's happened in the scriptures, but it is kind of an interesting statement. But he says he was, and the hand of the Lord was strong on him, and it says, he came to the captive at Telebib that dwelt by the river Sebar, and he sat with them and remained there astonished for, three, uh, for seven days. And astonished is a word that means devastated by what he's seeing. What he's seeing is just so, it's beyond astonishment. It's, it's something that brings him to a place where he does not understand what's going on. And he sits there for seven days and if you think about this, this is what Job's friends did when they showed up to him. They sat for seven days and just looked at him. And number one, they couldn't believe how bad off he was and how, how far down he was. And here he is. Part of his problem is probably all of a sudden he's someplace else. <laughs> that probably was bad enough. But he's looking at people who have been sent away from their homeland. They're in captivity. Have you ever been, to, been with somebody where you just... Things seem so bad for them, and you just you feel so sorry for them, you don't know what to say. That's a hard thing. This is where we we're follow the words in Ecclesiastes, cry with those who cry, and or weep with those that weep, and laugh with those that laugh. Sometimes we just don't know what to say when somebody's in great pain. And it's probably better not to say anything in most cases. And that's what I have heard from most counselors. It's better to not say anything because if you say, you know, you say, well, I, I, I understand what you're going through because I've been through something similar, it still sounds hollow to them uh, because you don't know what they're going through in reality. Uh, you don't know anything about what it is. You let them speak. You just let them get it out. I've already shared with you, I learned my lesson a long time ago. You know, you don't, when somebody's going through a lot, to myself when I go through a lot, I just quote Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. I quote verses that God is in charge. He knows what he's doing. But and those are great comfort to me. But if you quote those to somebody who doesn't really believe them when they're in the middle of their trial, they'll get angry with, I don't know how this can work out for good. And, you know, and, it's, you know, and it's very important. What do we believe before we even start it will determine what is of comfort. And like I say, for me, I just grab onto that rope. I go, okay, God, I don't understand how this is for good, but you said it is for good. I'm going to hold on to that for all I'm, for all I'm worth. But if you don't believe that everything works together for good, maybe you've never heard the verse or you just don't believe it, and you look at it from the world's point of view and say, well, there's no way this could be good. Hard to believe. It is hard to believe at times. 
Sometimes I've even told God, I go, God, I don't understand how this can be for good, but you've promised it, so I'm going to hold on to it. I'm not going to say we're going to understand. And we may, in some cases, may not ever understand because it's from God's perspective that it's good. And we've got to remember, and the one thing I keep telling everybody is that the word your good is not in that verse or my good is not in that verse. It's for somebody's good, not necessarily my good. God will work it for good. He'll use it to encourage somebody because of our steadfastness as we go through it. Or he'll use it for good. We may or may not ever know about it until we get to heaven. And then we'll get, that's, if we don't know about it, then we get the reward in heaven saying, your faithfulness in this helped this person or this person or this person or multiple people. And we look at it and say, it is what it is. And this is why it's important that we grab hold of God's word and we say, his word is true. No matter what I think about it at the time, no matter what I think, period, his word is true. I've been training myself over the years. I heard Dr. McGee say this a long time ago. He goes, where, Doc, where McGee and the Bible disagree, the Bible is correct. And I picked that up from, you know, as a teenager. If I disagree with what the Bible says, the problem is not the Bible's. <laughs> it's not God's. It's my problem. I have to release my pride, my desires, my thoughts, and say, I'm going to humble myself to God, and he is right. Our pain is for two reasons. We're either suffering for something that we have done and deserve it, or to help us grow through something. When I suffer some, through something, it's because God is saying, do you want, are you going to believe me? Not because Jesus went through pain. No, I don't think that would be a true statement. But he does want to say, and that's what I have shared with everybody. When you learn something in the scripture that God is teaching you, expect to be tested in that area. Because the purpose of that is, do you believe what he said? Well, I've shared this with people. If you're learning, if God has been working with you on love, then you're going to find people that are hard to love in your life. If, you, if you've been reading about patience, you will have things that try your patience. If you're looking at God being sovereign and being in control, you're going to have things happen in your life that make no sense to say, do you believe that I'm sovereign and in control? So whatever you're learning about, God is going to test that area to say, do you truly believe? Because it is very easy to say, I believe that God is in control, in control of all things and he will let nothing come to me that's be, you know, that is uncommon or that, that I can't have victory through Christ and that he's, not, you know, that he's in control of. Very easy to say those things. Again, it's very easy to say, I believe God. God, I believe that you're, that you're, that you're in control. I believe that I can, through your power I can love people, but until you actually are faced with somebody that's hard to love, you don't know whether you truly are, fo are following in that. Okay, and God will test whatever it is. And I look, and we did the Truth Project, and the Truth pro the tagline for the Truth Project is, "Do you really believe that what you believe is really real?" And as we get into God's Word and we read it, and it hits our head, and say, "Okay, God, I agree with you," until it is tested, you do not know whether you truly believe it or not. And this is something that God understands when you're in school. Everything seems to make sense when the teacher is de describing it in front of the classroom. Then you sit down and do your homework that night and everything just jumps out of your head and you realize that you didn't know, you really didn't understand anything of what they were talking about. Or you do. That homework is the time when you prove whether it is understood and believed or not. And God understands that with us. He's going to share things. He's going to teach things to us. And then he's going to test us to see, are you going to walk in that truth? whatever the truth is that he's teaching you. And it could be any number of tests that he can be putting you through. He could go in in the scriptures and say, you're not to do whatever this is, and if you do it, it's a sin, and then he's going to test to see if you're going to be obedient. Am I going to gossip about somebody? Am I going to you know, be negative toward, toward things around people? Whatever it is that God's teaching you to do, he's going to put you in a situation to say, have you heard? Are you listening? Have you, have you learned? And God's Test patterns is that he's not like the public school where you go on whether you pass the test or not. He keeps giving you the test until you pass the test. And then he gives you another test. And the next test will be harder than the test that you took. And it'll show our faithfulness as we go forward. But 
he was sitting, you know, we come back to Ezekiel, he was sitting there astonished at whatever it was he was seeing amongst the captives. And we, we, it says that in verse 16, and it came to pass at the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to, came to him saying, he heard God's call. Very important for us to learn to hear God's call. Whether it's audibly, whether it's just him speaking in our, in our heart. I've heard people say that they've had an audible voice of God. There's only one time in my life where I felt, felt that I had an audible st- statement from God. Most of them are just hearing that impression on my heart that this is what he wants me to do. But he heard, Son of man, verse 17, I have made you a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word of my mouth and give them warning from me. The watchman, the guard, he was, and this is really a statement of the watchman was one that stood on the gates in the towers. They watched over the city to make sure they weren't under attack. And if they saw any signs of invasion, any signs of, signs of attack, they were to warn, you know, hit the warning bell. And the worst thing that could happen was for the watchman to fall asleep and the, the city to be taken because they weren't doing their job. And God was telling Ezekiel, you are to be the watchman of the city. We as Christians are the watchmen as well. We're to warn our friends through the gospel that there's a consequence through them not going to Christ. And this is very important. God is serious with this. He called us to go unto all the nations to teach and make disciples and bring them to him. And our job is very simple. All we're to do is to tell we're not responsible for what they do or how they respond. Our job is to tell. Tell people about the gospel. And I keep hammering on, on this because I've heard so many things about this. Have we shared the gospel with, at, at the very least, our family? Our immediate family and our extended family. Do, have they heard the gospel? Have at least those people heard the gospel from you? I have found in my lifetime it's actually easier to share with strangers the gospel than it is with your family. Okay, Strangers tend to listen a lot better or totally reject you. And there's no in-between with strangers. They either totally push you off or, or give you a respectful hearing. Family can be very difficult to, to minister to, you know, but we should have enough love for our family to give them the gospel. And if they don't like it, that's between them and God. You don't have to. And I'm not saying every time you see your family, you have to share the gospel. If they've rejected it, you know, wait a little while and give it to them again on the next opportunity. Uh, sometimes new Christians get into this thing. You know, they're so anxious for their, for their uh, family to get saved that every time they see them, you're going to hell. You've got to get, got to get right with God. And after a while, their family doesn't even want to see them uh, because they're just a little too zealous. But the problem that we see is usually we go from that high, high zealous point of being a new Christian to not sharing the gospel hardly at all with anybody. We need to find that place in between where we're sharing the gospel at each open opportunity and maybe, maybe bringing, bringing in some that, you know, that are a little more contrived, but we need to be giving the gospel message out. The watchman on, on the wall. I, I heard a sermon long time ago where the pastor was talking about the white throne judgment and he had this picture of peop- we being the audience of that because we're not involved in the white throne judgment. We've talked about that. We've gone through the Bema seat and we're ruling with Christ at that point. But he has this, had a picture of people kind of in bleachers around there and people standing up and, and looking around and going, you didn't tell me. Yeah. And I could almost picture that happening, and you, can, you, know, you really could. If, if you have not shared the gospel, you are guilty of not telling that person, especially family and friends. It would be one thing not to tell every stranger you ever meet. But can you imagine a family member going to hell knowing that you never shared the gospel with them? To me, that's a critical problem. And I, I have shared the gospel with my family members, some more than they want to hear it. But others have, I know that I have at least shared once or twice with every single person the gospel message. It's important because they need to know the gospel. If they reject it, that's their problem. But 
we need to be watchmen saying, I am not going to be guilty of this person's blood. Paul, when he came to the life, he says, I have poured out. I have done everything that God has asked me to do. I wish I could say that. I have not done that as well in that level. Because I know there's a lot of people that I should have spoken up to. I have shared with the gospel with a lot of people, but not everybody. And sometimes I've walked away and I go, I should have said something. And, but I've shared with you all, I'm very slow. I come up with the answers about three hours after the fact, not, not during the time that I'm supposed to. But when it comes to sharing the gospel, I, I have the answers because I've studied. This is, this is my topic. This is my topic of discussion. I love to discuss. And, but we need to be watchmen, ready to share, because the ultimate goal that we have is for people to go to heaven. And he was told them, he goes, you, when you hear the word of my mouth, you give them warning. And remember, Ezekiel is in captivity. The people of Israel are fairly, for the most part, angry with God. They have been taken out of Israel. Jerusalem has been taken away from them. The temple has been destroyed. And the last thing on their mind was that their homeland was in ruins. And they're not blaming themselves. Because how many times do people typically blame themselves for what happens to themselves? You either go too extreme, you, you, you blame yourself for everything that's happening to you, which is one extreme that goes too far the other way, or you blame others. Very rarely are people in the center saying, okay, am I guilty or not guilty? I'm guilty, let me repent. And you hear it all the time. I don't understand why God's let all these bad things happen to me. Well, it might be all the sin that you've been practicing for the last last year and a half, two years, 10 years, 20 years. Uh, and we need to be able to understand most people do not blame themselves and God kept sending the prophets, turn, return, repent, turn. And we see it. Isaiah gives that message. Ezekiel gives that marriage message. Jeremiah gave that message. Uh, and Jeremiah's first message is repent, repent, repent. Okay, you haven't repented. You're going into captivity. Do it nicely. You're going into captivity for seven years. Do not fight back and the kings kept fighting back and they caused a lot of death because of them not listening to God's word and we need to be ready to listen and even for us as Christians sometimes we don't want to hear God's word <laughs> you know, we just don't like the message because it steps on our toes and we like to push back nobody likes their toes stepped on whether it's spiritually or physically we like to push back when, when something hits us between the eyes and going, okay, God, I don't know about this message. We do it when we're reading the scriptures. We hear it through the preaching of the word. Can't tell you how many times I'll be listening to something on the radio and say, ouch, God, I, maybe I shouldn't have listened at this hour <laughs> because it's being something that's going right at an area in my life that needs to be dealt with. And God is very good at doing that, and especially when you listen to four or five preachers over the week teaching the same thing. And it's like, uh, okay, God, I guess I've got to get the message. And we need to soften our hearts to be able to listen to those messages. When we read it in the Word, when we hear it, God, help me to change my life and needs to be our prayer. God, I repent of what I've been doing wrong. Help me to walk correctly. Because it is only His strength that will allow us to walk correctly through sins. Because sin besets us. Sin drags us down. And it's kind of interesting. Sometimes we just we get over a sin really easy, and then there's other sins that just seem to grab hold of us, and we go, I just can't get over this one. And God's saying, well, surrender. Surrender. It's very important. When it is a sin and we know it's a sin, we need to surrender to him and just say, God, I need your help because God wants to help us. And you know, how often do we not give God the credit for what he wants to do in our life? You know, he wants to give us blessings. He wants to give us strength. He wants to give us great, great things. Usually it's us who, who, uh, who give him the hard time about not having it. Have you ever wanted, uh, prayed for healing and then in the back of your mind was, well, I don't, that's not going to happen anyway. Why pray if you already don't believe it's going to happen? We... I, I had a prayer answered today, which was miraculous because the person said, this, this won't get approved. There's no way it'll get approved. And I'm going, okay, go ahead and try it anyway. And I was praying, God, 
If it's your will, you let this happen. And the whole process, we got the call this afternoon that it was approved. So, and it was for my son. And it's like, okay, God, thank you. <laughs> thank you for getting this to happen when the expert said that it was not going to happen. It is a wonderful thing when these things happen and you look at it and say, God, you are wonderful. A few years back, we prayed for a man in College Park who was on the heart transplant list. He was, up, he was in the top 50 at that point, but he was dying. And we prayed for him. The next Sunday, he came running into the church, running around up and down the, the steps to the platform and running all over the church. He was so happy because he was healed and he was taken off the transplant list and is still alive today. No. God healed him. God can do great things if we ask him to. He can give us great victories when we ask him to. He can give us great rewards when we ask him to. It's usually us who keep holding back because we don't, number one, we feel we don't deserve it, and we don't. God's gifts are through grace. And it's kind of funny how oftentimes when we walk around in our life, most of us want us, God to give us grace, but we don't really want to see grace given to other people. Have you ever been there? This person's just bad, acting so bad, God, you go get them. You know, and God's going, well, I gave you grace. Why shouldn't I give that person grace? You know, we need to really start understanding, number one, how much grace we have received. Most of us don't realize how much grace we've received. You know, and we need to really un start understanding he has given us so much grace and, you know, sometimes you'll hear somebody say, well, he doesn't deserve grace or she doesn't deserve grace. Of course, if they deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. It would be earned. You know, grace is unearned. It is something that God just does. He sent Jesus to die for our sins. What a gift of grace that was. We didn't deserve it, and he sent him anyway. He gives us salvation that we don't deserve, and it's grace. And we need to learn to give grace to other people. Because it is so easy for us to say, well, God, they just deserve what they're getting. Of course they deserve what they're getting. We deserve to get what we get. We don't deserve the grace, but we deserve to get whatever bad comes our way. That's why when people will say, why do bad things happen to good people? My first question is, who's good? The real question that we need to be asking is, why does good things happen to bad people? Because in reality, we're all bad. In God's sight, we are bad, and he gives us grace, and he gives us Christ's righteousness so that we are righteous in his appearance because of the gift grace of grace that he gives us to clothe us in righteousness. We need to be really begin to understand what grace is is and the power of grace because if we all started treating everybody around us especially our fellow brothers and sisters with grace what change would there be in their lives if we really started treating people with the grace you know god forgives repent and god forgives he gives you the the all the all the glory of heaven all the wealth of heaven is ours if we through grace we need to start learning to do it with each other, and then we expand grace to those in the world. The ones we won't talk to because they're just so bad. You know, they're doing things that we, we don't approve of, so we stay away from them. And we need to be given that grace so that we can give them the gospel. Jesus was a great example of giving people grace. He didn't just say your sins are not important. The woman at the well, when he asked us, go get, you know, asked her, go get your husband. She goes, well, I don't have one. She goes, you've answered correctly. In fact, you have five, and the man you're now living with is not yours. Okay? He didn't condemn her for what it is, but he also didn't make it say, well, it's okay. We want to walk a fine line. We don't want to condemn people for their sin, but we also, and we're also not saying that it's okay. We're just saying you're speaking the truth. But you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because he went on to talk about, you know, if you knew who was asking you for water, you'd be asking me because I am the living water. And you wouldn't have to drink. And that drew a question from her. She was so disrespected, she had to go draw water in the middle of the afternoon, which you didn't do. 
That's the hottest part of the day. You don't work during the hottest day in the hottest time of the day in the desert, just like you don't supposedly around here. But she, he was able to minister to her. The woman caught in adultery. He didn't say, it's okay that you were committing adultery. He says, go and sin no more. We need to be very gentle with people because number one, when somebody isn't a Christian, they have no strength to be obedient in the first place. They are a sinner doing what sinners do. They're sinning. And we, when we're not walking in Christ, do what sinners do. We sin. And we have the power, though, because Christ lives in us to have that sin nature crucified and live out victorious lives because of his power in us. But the sinner that doesn't know Christ has no strength not to be a sinner. They might for a time being put their life in order and, and discipline their flesh. And you know, I, I like using the idea of, you know, you've got the whip and the chain, you know, the chair and the whip on the on the lions and the you know and putting them in on the on there, but you know you minute you turn your back on them or you're not paying attention, they're gonna do what they do. They're wild animals, they're gonna do what they want. The flesh is wild. The sin nature is wild and will do what it wants to do if it's not being coerced. That is why God comes in and he crucifies the flesh. He kills the flesh and he lives through us to give us that strength. Our job, though, is to be the watchman on the wall and to share. Give the warning. And in verse 18 says, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him not a warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from, of his wicked ways to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. If God gives you a message to share with somebody and you don't share it, then you have a guilt to that person's uh, misfortune. This is why at times it's hard, but you have to say the hard things around people. When most, of, most people do not want to tell people that if you don't accept Christ, you're going to go to hell. And it's a strong message. It is an important message that we bring out to people. Because uh, in verse 19 it says, Yet if you warn the wicked and he turn not from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. We need to be sure that we tell people that without Christ... Hell is the destination. We have to do it gently. We can't just go, you know, accept Christ or you're going to hell. <laughs> you, know, you know, and I'm happy that you're going there because you're such a bad person and you deserve it. Okay, we come across with that attitude to somebody. They're not going to listen in the first place. But when we are in tears because somebody is going the wrong direction, we feel that pain and we care about their eternal destination. You know, I have oftentimes in the past used the lesson, the idea, you know, do you believe in heaven? Oh, yeah, yeah. How do you get there? And let people share how they think they get there. Kind of an interesting thing to do. I mean, people have some weird, weird ideas about how they get to heaven. It's kind of funny listening sometimes. But after they get done talking, you can just ask them, can I show you what the Bible says about getting to heaven? And usually if you've listened respectfully to them, they will allow you to share what the Bible says about getting to heaven. And you can share the Romans road. Romans 3.23, for all of sin and come short of the, uh, all, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Uh, Romans uh, 6.23, for wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans uh, 5.8, but God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> And then 10, 7, and 8, you know, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. That's simple. You don't have to work through it. You don't have to live 20 million lifetimes to get there with, through reincarnation. Uh, you don't have to hope that you did good enough. You don't have to uh, you know, pray to all these people. You don't have to give money to the church to get there. We just share the, the gospel with them. And just let them know that the destination without Christ is an eternity in hell. And I've had some people go, well, you know, when I die, I'm just going to go hell and I'll go to hell and party with all my friends that are going to be there. 
Then you have to tell, teach them what hell's all about. Uh, sorry, hell is not a place where you're going to party with your friends. It's not a place where you're going to have a good time and with and sinning to your heart's content. Hell is an extreme punishment where you're going to be individualized and you're going to burn and your conscience is going to burn and you're going to have a suffering for all of eternity. And, the, and then they go, well, a loving God would never do you that, but a righteous God will. A righteous, holy God will give you what you asked for. You know, there's answers for each of these questions that they throw to us. And we just need to be ready to answer. Not try to convince them, because if you convince them, try to argue somebody into heaven, it doesn't work in the first place. And they go to their, ne- they go to their friend who believes what they did, and they'll just argue them back out later on. They have to decide that they really, truly want to believe God. That doesn't mean we don't answer, we don't give them the reasons, but we're not having a debate. We're not trying to convince them to accept Jesus Christ. I will not try to sit there and make somebody say a prayer to ask God in their heart. I went soul winning one time on the street with some, this one lady and we were talking to these three teenagers and she had this one teenager backed up against the wall and you gotta say the prayer, you gotta say this prayer and he finally said the prayer. And she let him go, and I'm going, I turned to her, and I'm going, you know he's not saved. Well, he said the prayer. God's going to hold him accountable for it. I go, no, he said words to get away from you. And you know, the really sad thing was, is that kid might have left thinking he was saved. You know, sometime down the road, he's going to go, well, I said a prayer. I'm all set to go to heaven. We'd, she didn't do him a bit of good. And probably did more harm than good to the poor kid. We want to be careful. We're not there to argue. We're not there to coerce. We're there to just share. And the greatest thing we can do is share what God has done for us. And and I I love to listen to people and give me their testimony. How did God get hold of you? How did God convince you? How did you come to Christ? Mine was really wonderful. I went to junior church and God really got into my heart. I went forward and accepted him. God took away a very bad temper from a young child who had a very bad temper. I got so excited about it, I told all my friends they needed to come to, you know, come to Jesus. And they would go, how do I do it? Well, I was only 10 years old. I really didn't fully understand what I did. I just knew that I felt different and God had done something. So my answer to them was, come with me on the church bus and we'll, we'll let them explain it at church. <laughs> that, that Sunday when the church bus pulled up, there was a whole bunch of people standing there ready to get on the, the bus to go to Sunday school and junior church. I didn't know the answers, but I said, I know who has the answers. Come and, come and hear the answers. And as I've shared with people, you know, when we're older, we, know, we should know what we've done. <laughs> and we still may not know how to do it, but you know the answer to any time somebody asks you a question is, that's a very good question. I don't know the answer. I'm going to go get the answer. Can, can I talk to you tomorrow or the next day or next week or, and go find the answer? Come talk to me. I'll give you the answers. <laughs> And then go back and talk to them. Or, at the worst case, get them into church so we can, they can ask the questions. But we want to be sharing the gospel. The Holy Spirit's going to give you answers anyway. The wonderful thing is how many times when you witness and all of a sudden you find that you kind of start listening to yourself as you're sharing the gospel with somebody because you don't know what you're saying and the Holy Spirit's talking through you. It happens a lot of times to teachers. You've studied, you've done all your homework, you're ready to preach and teach, and the next thing you know... You're kind of listening to yourself, and I've done that many times when I've been teaching and preaching. You know, I've done all my study, I've studied for the hours and got ready, I think I know what I'm going to teach, and then I start preaching and I kind of find myself taking a back seat to my voice. <laughs> and there's God speaking. It's like, wow, this is quite interesting. <laughs> I'm not this good, God, thank you. <laughs> but I've done it when preaching, done it when teaching, I've had it happen many times when sharing the gospel with people. If we open our mouth, God will fill it. And that's what he told the disciples. Do not worry about what you're going to say when you're called in front of the courts. I will fill your, vo- fill your mouth. And you look at Peter. Peter on the day of Pentecost became a very, became a very eloquent speaker. Thousands came to Christ on that first day. I think if you had gone up to Peter the day after, go, Peter, how did you give that message? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> the Spirit just filled my mouth. I opened it up, and, and he was speaking for me. Stephen, as he gives the defense that ends up getting him stoned, is probably another one who would be saying, 
I don't know how, how it happened. I just opened my mouth and the Spirit filled it. The Spirit and God wants to be able to use us, and they will use us. They will just help us when we are obedient and we share. Does that mean we don't study the Word because God's going to fill our mouth or we don't, we don't prepare to, for what we believe? No. You want something for the, to be drawn on. And we, the more we study, the, the easier the answers get and the more there is to draw from. But the Holy Spirit will use what we give him. And it's very important. We prepare and he speaks. We prepare on how to deliver and then we let him work through it. And I've shared with you guys, I've studied many different how to evangelize techniques. Uh, in, in over 40 years, I've gone all kinds of different I don't use any of them completely the way they were designed. <laughs> I'll use bits and pieces and mix them and match them and I use what's best at the time, but they're there. They're there and I have something for the Holy Spirit to draw on. I have something to draw on to give answers to. And a watchman needs to be prepared. We need to be ready to share. We need to be ready to encourage. We're not there to condemn. You know, we don't want to condemn people. And I, my, whole, my hope and heart is that I never come out here to condemn anybody when I meet them. I just want to love them. Where they're at, let them know that God loves them. I'm going to love them to the best of my ability and encourage them to come to God. Because that's where the importance is. It's not what we do that gets us in heaven. Too many Christians will spend time going, well, you know, they won't say it outright, but they're kind of like, well, as soon as you get your life together, we'll give you the gospel so that you can, can come to God. And we all know people have done that. Maybe we've been guilty of it ourselves sometime. You know, I don't want to talk to this person. They're just way too bad. You know, when they get their life together a little bit, we'll talk to them. Nowhere did Jesus do that. He went to the people where they were at sharing the gospel. And we want to be able to do that. Where are they at? Do they have an area of their life that they don't see as sin? Don't try to get them convinced that that area is sin. Because it's irrelevant. There's plenty of sins in their life that they know they sin. You know, all you got to do is ask anybody if they've ever told a, told a lie. And if they tell you no, they've never told a lie, they're telling you a lie right at that moment. And they know it. Because there's not a single person that I have ever met in my entire lifetime who has never told a lie in their life. Now, some people are more honest than others. There are people that are generally honest, but even those people have told lies. Most people have stolen something in their lifetime, even if it's nothing but a pen or the $10 bill they find on the ground because they don't know who the owner is, so they keep it. Uh, there's all kinds of ways to be able to steal. Many people steal from their employers by not giving them eight hours worth of work or however many hours you're on the clock. So we see all these ways, and you know, so we don't have to work on these things that are, that are not sure whether they're a sin or not. Don't worry about those. Those are God's to work on when they get saved. But we are watchmen. We declare. We share. And we are protected by that sharing. They may not like what they heard, but it's like, sorry, this was the answer. He may not like the answer. Oftentimes, we don't like God's answers. When we pray, pray, I've heard so many people tell me, well, God didn't answer. You know, and my thought process, and I used to be that way, God didn't answer, but my thought process over the years has been real strong. No is, a, no is a legitimate answer. It's not the answer we want to hear when we pray, but no is an answer. Or not at this time is an answer. We just want to hear yes, and if he hasn't given us yes, he didn't answer. And... We think, you know, when we were teenagers, we thought the same thing with our parents. If they didn't tell us yes, they, did, they, you know, they didn't answer correctly. <laughs> you know, the parents knew what was good for us, maybe, <laughs> if you had good parents. <laughs> they knew that by giving you everything, it wasn't a good thing, or letting you do certain things, or hang out with certain people, or go to the, go to the party where all the popular people were going to get drunk uh, and, and have sex on that Friday night, and they said, no, you couldn't go to that party. And all you do is thinking, well, you just want to keep me from having fun. <laughs> And oftentimes we do the same thing to God. God, you're just trying to be a killjoy. You don't want me to enjoy life. And God's saying, no, I know it's not good for you. It's not good for you to do what you think is good for you. 
And we as spiritual teenagers get in a big huff that God is just uh, not allowing us to have fun. The world does it to an extreme. We do it as Christians, and the world does it to a great extreme. Sometimes when I've witnessed to people, I'm going, you know, do you want to accept Jesus Christ? And sometimes I've had people go, well, no, I can't give up my, my, my drugs and my, my uh, fooling around, my one-night stands each weekend. I'm going, well, who asked you to? We didn't even talk about giving anything up. All I'm asking is you want to come to God. Are you going to come to God? Why do I have that attitude? Because he's the one that's going to give them the strength to give up what it is they need to give up as they get to know him. Because until then, I don't want them thinking they have to do things that are earning their grace gift. Because Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. God is not looking at us doing anything that makes us think that we earned our salvation. It is completely by grace. And then it's his strength and his crucifying of our flesh that allows us to live a godly life, to be the saints that he has declared us that we are once we become his. We become saints. He clothes us in righteousness. He crucifies the flesh and comes out of us and helps us to live the way he wants us to live over time. And we become more like him over time. And the greatest thing, and I've shared this over and over, when we have victory over an area in our life, it is God who does the work. The greatest victories I've had in my life is that God crucified the flesh and he gives me victory over that area. And it's wonderful. You kind of look back and go, well, I used to do this all the time and now I don't. Why don't I do it? Well, God took it away. It wasn't me sitting there striving and struggling to get it done. And God said, I'm going to do it. Now, usually I have a desire to do it as well. But it is God who gives the victory. And we want to do this for him. Verse 20 says, And again, when a righteous man does turn from, from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you have not given him warning, and he shall die in his sins, and, and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood... I will require of your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he is warned. Also, you have delivered your soul. The righteous need to hear warnings. And this is where we encourage one another. We need to encourage one another. When we see people doing good things with God, we encourage them. I like to share with people as I see them growing. I am really glad to see you growing in this area and I love that I love watching people grow spiritually and being able to say that's a good thing because it's God doing the work and righteous need to be encouraged I need to be encouraged that's why I listen to as much sermons as I listen to and I read the word and I want God to speak to me and encourage what I'm doing and I want to encourage people as much as possible it's really good to see how faithful you are coming to church. I love the fact that you're growing. I, you know, we, we, I love the way that God is making changes in your life. I like to see the change. And I like seeing the changes of the people in this church as they're growing. And growing in Christ and making great, great growth. And be able to say, thank you, God. Thank you for their growth. And thank you that they are being delivered. And it takes time. How often do we want to see God answer our prayers and deliver us from our problems and we're not patient enough to allow him to do the work? He does, God, you didn't answer me yesterday, so I give up. This is not where we want to be. He takes time to work, in most cases. Is verse 20 kind of a restating of uh, 18 and 19? It's restating from the opposite side. The first two were talking about the unrighteous, if they were to to turn or die in their unrighteousness and he didn't speak, it was his fault. If they turned then he, and, and they didn't turn, it was, and he spoke in. So yes, this is the same thing from the opposite extreme. Yeah. The first one he's talking to the unrighteous and the second time he's talking to those who are righteous and he's basically saying, I've given you a warning. Okay, the righteous need to hear the warnings just as much as the unrighteous because we can turn away from our righteousness. 
if we're not warned. And so again, he's saying, warned, speak the words I've given to you. And this is why, especially, I encourage people with our families. For those of us who are fathers, God has put a very strong uh, commandment to fathers that we are to train up our children. We are to help discipline and bring them into to the righteousness of God. And this is very important that we share with our family, at the very least, God's standards. Now, will they always listen? No. If you get saved later on in your life, you've got your job cut out for you because it's harder because they're going to look at you and say, well, that's not the way you raised us. How, how come you're changing your tune? Well, because God got hold of me now. And the key at that point is to live a righteous life in front of them so they see the change. But they're going to be much harder to reach. And it is a great advantage to have been raising our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord for our whole life and their whole life and let them start at a higher standard. But God redeems the times. There is nothing that God cannot redeem. And we want to be keeping that in mind. When our children appear to leave God's flock, we pray for them, we lift them up, we encourage them. If you've done your job training up the child, then, then usually they will return. My oldest son did that. He walked away from God and he returned. I don't know all of what he went through when he was gone, walking away from God. I know he went through a hard time with him and God, challenging him. But he came back. I've got two children that haven't left. One that almost did. <laughs> and another one, we're still praying for him. <laughs> but God will get hold of them. And our job is to pray Never underestimate the power of prayer for your children, for your family, for those around you, for the church. It is so easy for us. And the world likes to tell us, well, all you Christians ever want to do is pray. Well, you know what? That's probably a true statement. That's all I really want to do. I want to do beyond whatever God tells me. But I understand the power of prayer because I have seen answered prayers. I have seen God do miraculous works. I have read where God has done miraculous works. I have seen where he's done it in the scriptures in the past. But the most important thing is I have personally seen the answers to prayer so that I know that God answers prayer if we just stay consistent in prayer. My great-grandmother prayed for 32 years for my dad to get saved. She had her church praying for him for 32 years. How many people pray for 32 years for things in, in, on average? Not a whole lot of people do that. Her proudest moment was when, she was when he kind of finally came to visit her after she was saved, and she took him up to the front of the church and said, this is my son, grandson that we've been praying for, for 32, that we prayed for for 32 years. God wins if we just stay consistent. Even when we have given all the wrong examples and bad examples, God will still be able to bring the right people in if we pray. If we want to see victories in the long run, pray. It may take a long time, but it can happen. It is so important for us to really stay consistent. And I really bring this up for those who got saved later in life. They raised their kids all wrong with a bad example. Take and pray for them. Pray hard for them because God will let them see the change in your life, possibly. If not, he'll bring somebody else into their life that will be the one that can reach them. You never know, but just be sure that God's going to get hold of them. Because it is very important. Our children look at us when they're growing up. And, a lot, and I've been teaching children for most of the last, last 44 years. I started teaching children at a very young age when I was in... When I was uh, in school, I was teaching fourth grade when I was fourth graders when I was 16. And all these years I've taught kids. And the one thing I've learned, a lot of the teenagers leave the church, not because of what the school teaches them, even though that is part of why they leave, not because of what the college teaches them, because, but when they look at mom and dad, they see that the Christianity that we follow doesn't appear to be real. 
And if we live a Christianity that's not 24-7, 365 days a year, our kids notice that. If, if you have a Bible and, you, and the only time you pick it up out, out, off the table after you pick it up from underneath the stack of magazines and newspapers and books that you are reading is on Sunday morning, and then by next Sunday morning it's at the bottom of the stack again, our kids note that and go, well, obviously God's not real to them. If they never see us praying, they will go, they will note that. The greatest thing that we can do for our children, our grandchildren, let them catch us reading the Bible. Let them catch us praying. And I understand, especially for mothers, why they try to pray before the kids get up, because it's real hard after the kids get up sometimes. But the problem with that is you may be a great prayer warrior between, between 5 and 6.30 in the morning, but if your kids don't see you praying, as far as they're concerned, you haven't prayed. If your kids aren't seeing you read the Bible because you're reading it before or after they go to bed, as far as they're concerned, it's not important enough for you to read. The greatest thing that I have in memories in my house is finding my dad at his desk studying the scriptures. At his desk praying with the with the prayer wall and knowing that what he was following was real. Wasn't just a play, wasn't just a game that he was doing. And we need to live lifestyle that when our family, when our friends start thinking about us, they're going, what they believe is real. They act according to what God says. I heard the greatest statement, I'm going to end with this one today on the radio, your true character is revealed by what you will laugh at. And I hope they kind of catch that. How many times when somebody gives you an off-color joke, do you kind of chuckle or laugh, or does it make you sick to your stomach? If somebody is doing something that is making fun of something godly, does it, do you kind of laugh at it because you think it's funny, or does it make you sick? I'm not going to say I'm perfect in this area, but there's a lot of jokes that I just that make me sick when people tell them. And I will tell them a lot of times, no, I don't even want to hear that, that kind of a joke. It's not funny. And I've shared with people, when people make fun of marriage, I do not think those are funny jokes. When somebody says, you know, and I haven't heard it in a long time, but they will talk about, I've got to go home to the, to the battle axe. Uh, and I kind of look at people and go, I thought you loved your wife. Well, I do. I go, well, how can you talk about them so negatively? What makes us chuckle? What do we think is, is funny? Well, very quickly, tell me, or yourself, where is your true character at? All of these things are what we want to be able to, how are we growing? Where are we growing? And I, when I just heard that, it just struck me. Because I was thinking about how, much, how many things that people say and comedians say that I just don't find funny. Well, that's what I've shared with TV. There's shows I used to watch that I thought were okay, and now I'm starting to watch them and going, how did I ever watch this show? And I'm not talking about blatant, you know, blatant attacks. I'm talking about the nuanced attacks that are on there. Close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity we have. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, help teach us to be more grace-oriented toward those around us that we not accept the sin just as you don't accept it, but we also give them grace to grow and learn and follow you, and especially grace to the, to the lost world, Lord, that we can be able to talk to them and give them the message. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.